Open our Bibles to the book of Luke. Uh, the book of Luke is uh, where we're going to be this week in the um, first part of this, uh, what we're going to talk about. And uh, he did a great job last week. Uh, really encouraged you to uh, uh, see Jude uh, walk through the narrative of Zachariah and Elizabeth not having kids and God's work with them. And so appreciate his treatment of that last week. But as we think where we are right now, we are a, a week away from Christmas. All right. How many of you that there's more things still on the list than things have been marked off the list. All right, most of us, right? This is crunch time as we think about heading into Christmas season and all that's involved with uh, family and opportunities that we have and gifts and meals and all of those things. But all those things are good. It's a good opportunity for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's good for us to be together with friends and family. But we also know there's a lot that happens. As we think about Christmas, Christmas in this time is an anticipation that the Lord is coming, uh, that, that He is coming, that He is, is on His way. And this morning, the title of the sermon, that He's coming, and we're talking about the pre-Christmas story. So we're talking about, the, this morning in Luke, we're talking about the He who's coming before Jesus came, and the one who was promised that was going to be coming. And so this is a he's coming, but it's the pre-Christmas story. And we're going to be talking about John the Baptist and his coming and why that's significant to us at Christmas season. Well, as we looked last week, we saw in, in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning, that as we, um, actually it's Luke chapter 1, that Zechariah was a priest. He was in the temple. He was doing his uh, priestly duties, and an angel appeared to him and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a child. Now that was startling to him because they, Elizabeth had been barren their whole marriage, and they were advanced, they're beyond childbearing years. And so this was startling news to Zechariah. Zechariah had some doubts, and as a result of his doubts, um, God disciplined Zechariah. And for nine months, what couldn't he do? That's right. For nine months, he couldn't talk. He was silent. And yet, whenever, Zachari- whenever John was born, what happened? He was able to speak. And we pick up the narrative this morning in Luke chapter 1, verse 65. So, John is, I mean, Zechariah is now able to speak. His tongue is loosed. And he begins by speaking a blessing to God. And verse 64 says this, And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. It's a wonderful thing. Nine months he's been silent. The first thing he talks about is how good God is. He is blessing God. It says in verse 65, And fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And this is the child, this is John. And as we see in verse 67, what does Zechariah do? Zechariah continues to talk. And it says in verse 67, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. We'll look at the rest of the text in just a moment. But as we pause here in this very first part of verse 67, it says Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spoke blessings. This is this little phrase, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, is something that we have already seen a couple times in the book of Luke. And it's interesting because this family, God's using it in a really significant way because turn back to chapter 1, verse 15. And what we're seeing is the Holy Spirit is very active in this. 
is very active in all that's going on in this, this, new, this, this new work that God's going to be doing. In verse 15, it's talking about this baby, John, who would be born. And it says, um, actually back up in verse 14, it says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So Zechariah, John's been born, he is speaking, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is speaking. Here we read that John was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Look at one other passage in chapter 1, verse 41. Chapter 1, verse 41. And so Mary has gotten news that she's going to bear a child. Mary has become pregnant by the Holy Spirit uh, through this miraculous conception. And she goes to visit Elizabeth, who is a family member. And so she's pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth is pregnant with John. And in verse 41, it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as we see this, these two women who are pregnant, one with the Messiah, with Jesus, and one with John the Baptist, and it says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she speaks. And we look, we have John, Elizabeth, and John, John, Elizabeth, and Zechariah. This whole family is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we think about just the work of God, that this unique family, they haven't been able to have kids their whole life, and now they're not only going to have kids, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we see them doing in response to being filled with the Holy Spirit, we see both Elizabeth and Zechariah praising the Lord. And that's what happens whenever throughout the Bible we see people filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak. They're speaking of God's truth. And what is John going to do? John's going to grow up and he is going to be a preacher. And he's going to proclaim and he's going to make, make statements about the coming of this Messiah. And so as we look at all of this that we're going to see in this morning, we're going to look at this prayer that Zechariah is going to pray in verse 67 uh, through 79, that this prayer is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is filling Zechariah. Zechariah is going to speak the words that the Holy Spirit has described to us. And what we're going to see this morning, our big idea is this, is that God is worthy to be praised. Our big idea is that God is worthy to be praised for three big reasons. Because he is concerned about his people, that he cares about us, that he is committed to his promises, he makes promises and he keeps them, and that he is confident in his prophet. So those are going to be our three big ideas this morning, that, 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 that God is worthy to be praised because he's concerned for his people, committed to his promises, and and. and, and, and confident in his prophet. So let's look at that this morning. The first big point is this, that God is worthy to be praised because he is concerned about his people. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, 
the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, who grants us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him in all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. As we see this passage, we see that God is indeed concerned for his people. In the first part of our passage, and in verse 69 to 70, we're told this, that, that he has visited, he has visited and redeemed his people. And what's interesting about this is Zachariah is making a prophecy about what's going to happen. That the Son of the Most High, He is coming. And He is going to redeem His people. He is going to forgive His people. But, as you look at it, look at verse 68. It says, for He has visited. He has redeemed. And, And as we back to grammar school, He's talking here in past tense about something that's going to happen in the future. And as we read that, we kind of scratch our heads. Well, why is he talking like it's already done when it hasn't happened yet? And I'm convinced that the reason for that is because when God makes promises, they're as good as done. That when God says he is going to do something, that he is going to make it happen. That God always keeps his promises and there's nothing that can keep him from keeping them. That we realize that God, if he makes, when we make promises, there are things that hinder us from making, keeping our promises. Sometimes, there are, sometimes we don't know things. Like we say, well, tomorrow we're going to go out and we're going to play basketball outside at Lincoln Park because it's supposed to be warm. And then it snows two feet tonight and we can't go play basketball. So we broke our promise. Why? Not because of any evil intent, but because we couldn't. This is sometimes that we break our promises just because we don't have the power to fulfill them. But as we think about God who makes his promises, that he is a sovereign God of all of the universe. He is all-powerful. So there's nothing that will keep God from make, keeping his promises. He is everywhere present. It's, God's not like, oh, I forgot about that. And he doesn't get there on time to keep his promises. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present. And he knows everything. And because he knows everything, there's nothing that's going to surprise him that would keep him from keeping his promise. There's no new information. And because he's all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, he is a sovereign God, he is able to keep every promise that he makes. But not only is he able, he's also a good God. And so not only is he able to keep all his promises, he wants to keep them. And because God is able to keep his promises, because God wants to keep his promises, whenever we read about the promises of God, we can say it's as good as done. It will indeed happen. I think about this. When our kids were little, um, one of the kids, if we said we were going to do something, it was as good as done. So if we said, hey, tomorrow we're going to go and get ice cream. And so it's like a half hour later, we get an ice cream. No, it's not tomorrow yet. You said, and then a little later in the day, are we going to get ice cream? He says, no, we're getting ice cream tomorrow. And he said, but you said, and, uh, because, and, and then the next day we would go get ice cream. But before that, it's you said, you said, you said, because in their mind it was, if you said it, it's going to happen. And that's the way it is with God. 
when he, my kids are arguing who's, who it was. I'm not, that's not me. It's not me. But we recognize that, 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 that it's as good as done. And how much greater is God than that? That God can, and we can say that God, you said this, we know you're going to do it. Now, the challenge for us and the challenge for a, a, a little kid is that we have to wait. God will keep all of his promises. They're as good as done, but oftentimes we just have to wait. He is going to redeem us. He is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And that promise is as good as done. That God will comfort us. That God will strengthen us. And all of those are as good as done as our responsibility to wait. And as we wait, that we actively wait with confidence and trust in him. And that's what we see Zechariah in this prayer. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He talks about this as well, that he, is, he saves us from those who seek our destruction. He, he, says that, um, as he, he, he says that in his passage in verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the land, hand of those who hate us. That God's visit and redeemed his people. God raises up a savior. God also saves us from those who desire our destruction. Keep your place here and turn back with me to Psalm 118. I want you to see just a really neat phrase in here. And this idea that God is saving us from those who seek our destruction. In the past couple of weeks, I've been, I was spending time in Psalm 118 and praying through this passage. And there is a verse that has just popped out at me. And it's like, this is so glorious that God saves us from destruction. That God, God he is working, to, he's raised up a Savior who's visited us. In Psalm 118, verses 5 to 7, listen to what it says. In, in, in the midst of hardship and distress, Psalm 118, verse 5 says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Okay, and here's what stood out. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. And, and we see this idea, this phrase, the Lord is on my side. How easy, easy is it for us to often think that God's opposed to us? That, that God's like putting things in front of us that are too hard for us to handle. That God is like, in some way, he, we kind of know he's good, but, but, but how good is he? And in this passage, he says to us that he is at our side, and I will not fear. Why? Because nothing can hurt me that doesn't pass through God's sovereign hands. So in my mind, I'm, it's this picture that what's God saying? He says that he is at my side, and he's got his arm around us. He's got his arm around me, and so he's near to me. But it's also that he says, what can hurt me? It's also so God has his arm around us in my mind here. He's got his arm around us, but then he's also like this. His arm's around us, and he's our defender, and he is our shield. And there is nothing that's going to get to us that is not passed through his sovereign will, that he knows if anything's going to get through here, it's for our good. That's the nature of our God. 
He's good to us. He is on our side. He is here to help us. As we continue in this passage and back in the book of Luke in verse 72, we so that see that God also, as he visits the rede- and redeems his people, as he raises up a savior, as he saves us from those who seek our destruction, we also read that he shows us mercy. That God give, doesn't give us what we deserve. The very fact that God would be on our side means that he had to do something. Because he wasn't on our side and we didn't want to have anything to do with him. Because we, like the rebellious student, would say, I want to do it my way, God. And so let go of me. Let me do my way. And so God has his arm around us, but we like push away and we want to do our thing. And as a result of that, the scriptures teach us that the wages of sin is death. Our rebellion against God should cause us to just be, to His wrath to be poured out on us. But what does God do instead? He sends His Son to bear the wrath for us, to bring us back to the Father so He can be on our side. That's the gospel. That's what God's done for us. And He's done this out of His mercy and out of His grace. We continue in this passage in verse 74. It says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. And we recognize that God shows us mercy, but he also delivers us from our enemies. He delivers us. And it's interesting as this work that he does, he says that he delivers us that what? That we might serve him without fear. And, And now, if you pause to think about that, you think, well, what would be scary about serving God? I mean, if I'm teaching Sunday school, I mean, that's, that can be a little intimidating with the kids, but I mean, it's not like super fearful. What could be, hard, what could be fearful about serving God by, by singing on the music team? What could be fearful about God by, by um, serving in significant ways around the church, helping clean the church, helping get things organized? Why, when it says to serve the Lord without fear? But then we think about, other things God's called us to. And he says to us things like, go and make disciples of all nations. Does anybody find evangelism a little scary? Serve the Lord without fear. He's at our side. He's our defender. Anybody else find it scary to know somebody that you love, that maybe they profess to be a believer, but they're living contrary to the gospel? to know that in Scripture that we have a responsibility and obligation to speak to them about, about their sin and to, to draw them back. But we know that we think, well, that might hurt my relationship. And we think, well, that might push them far. And we have lots of reasons for that. Why is it? Because we're afraid. We're afraid. And we're oftentimes afraid of things that, that are outside of our control. We're afraid that they won't like us. We're afraid that they'll respond to us negatively. We're afraid that they'll push them, we'll push them farther from the Lord. When the reality is, they're, if they're living contrary to the gospel, they're already far from the Lord. It's not about pushing them farther away. Speaking truth is what God uses to draw them nearer. And we realize that God rescues us, and He is for us. He's concerned about us, and He delivers us from our enemies so that we would serve Him without fear. Well, God is worthy to be praised because he is concerned about his people. We also see that he is worthy to be praised because he is committed to his promises. In verse 70, we read that he gave promises through the prophets. 
All through the Old Testament, God speaks and God gives promises. He's given promises to all kinds of people. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all these prophets he's given. And then we add Elijah and Moses and other prophets. God has sent multitudes of prophets and made promises to us. And our God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. God. He doesn't go back on them, and he's given his promises through the prophets. We would also read that he has made covenants with his people. In verse 72, we read, to show the mercy that he has promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. God made promises to Abraham thousands of years ago, and we're reaping the benefits of those today. That God told Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. We are far, far from Israel. And not only far, far geographically, but from a time standpoint when God made promises to Abraham. And yet God has fulfilled those promises to Abraham through Jesus Christ who came, died for our sins, and told us to go and make disciples. And this gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea and has reached the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ has arrived in central Indiana. And it's an opportunity for us to call on the name of the Lord. God has kept his promises. God keeps his covenants that he makes with his people. We also see that God is worthy to be praised because of this oath. We also see that God is worthy to be praised. He's concerned about his people. He's committed to his promises. But we'd also see in the last part of this passage that he is worthy to be praised because he is confident in his prophet. And this transitions in verse 76 in our passage. And look what it says. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And in my picture, Zechariah now, he begins to speak to John, his son, his newborn son. And it's as though he has this newborn son in his arms. And he has been praising God for all that God's doing and how God's work is going to culminate through his son, who is going to be a prophet of the Most High, and ultimately through Jesus the one who John's going to point to. And he begins speaking to his son, this newborn son, and saying to him, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High God to go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercies of God whereby the sun sun Sunshine shall visit us from on high to give light to those in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And we see Zechariah praying about this child and all the hope that is instilled in him. That he is coming to prepare a way. God's going to use him in a significantly powerful way to help others come to know the, the Messiah, to help others come to know this grand story of God, that God is using this child for that. And we see several things about this in our passage. We see that John is the prophet of the Most High. In verse 76, prophet. 
a spokesman for God, the most high God, the true and living God, the God of Israel. He is going to be a spokesman for him. But it's interesting as we see this, that he is going to prepare a way. This prophet is going to prepare a way for the one who is the son of the most high. That John is a prophet. He is merely a prophet of the most high. Jesus is going to come. He is the son of the most high. He is the Son in fulfillment of promises that were made hundreds of years earlier. And, and even, just, even just a little bit, a few, a few months earlier. From all the way back, God made promises to Isaiah 700 years before about um, John and Malachi about 400 years. So 700 years ago he's talking about this. 400 years ago he's talking about this. And about nine months ago he's talking about this. Because look back in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 33. And this is why it's important for us to see that, to read the Bible in context and see this, because here, John is called the prophet of the Most High. And in Luke chapter 1, and actually we'll begin in verse 31. And this is an angel talking to Mary. And he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He's not a prophet. Jesus isn't just one other prophet amongst a long line of prophets. Oftentimes we hear people say that, well, Jesus is one more prophet. The Jewish people believe that. The Muslims believe that. That Jesus is just one more prophet. Jesus is way more than a prophet. He is the Son of the Most High God. And it says, he will be this called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And to his kingdom, there will be no end. That the promises of a Messiah are being fulfilled in Jesus, the son of the most high. And this baby that Zechariah is holding is going to prepare the way for him to come. As we would recognize, too, in verse 77 of chapter 1, that he will declare salvation and forgiveness to the people. It says that John is going to give knowledge of salvation to the people in the forgiveness of their sins. We would look back in the book of Mark, as we've been studying that in a regular Sunday morning series, that we read that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What does Jesus do? What does John do? He prepares the way. How? By preaching repentance, telling people to turn from their sin and turn to the Messiah. And as we see this one who's appeared, John will point people to Jesus. And, and, and turn with me to one other passage this morning, to the book of John. If you're in the book of Luke, it's the next book of the Bible. The book of John, chapter 1. And this very introductory part of this book, we see this one who is coming. And it says earlier that he is going to give light to those who sit in the darkness. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Prophet of the Most High, sent from God. And he came to a witness to bear, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John's laying a foundation. The light of the world is coming. 
the light of the world is coming. He's going to talk about repent, find forgiveness of sins. And then look on down a little further. And, um, uh, well, it's verse 8, verse 9. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all those who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And that Jesus is this light of the world that John came pointing us to. And then we read a little further in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29. This baby who is declaring and preparing the way for the Messiah says this. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus has come. Jesus has come. John has prepared the way for him. And as a result of that, we see that, that John will give light, that he will give light that leads to peace for those in darkness and in the shadow of death, that this land of darkness, a light has shone. And that light shone. And John has been saying, the light's coming, the light's coming, the light's coming. Open your eyes. Pay attention. And as we see this in this gospel, as we head into this Christmas season, as we head into every season, that we would be prepared. That we would be prepared and we would be people who are praising the Lord. Like Zechariah, longing for this one who is coming, but in this longing, absolutely confident that God keeps his promises. And as he keeps his promises, that we would have great hope. What we see this morning is that God is concerned about his people which that means today God's concerned about you. He cares. He cares about the details and the circumstances of your lives. He is committed to his promises. The promises that you find in the word of God that we see that God has made to us, we can have confidence that he is committed to those promises and will keep them. He's concerned about his people. He's committed to his, his promises. But we also see that he is confident and his prophet, and ultimately his son Jesus, who has done all this work for us. And so this morning, I want to remind you that our God is good, our God is powerful, our God is loving. He does not deal with us according to our sins, but deals with us according to his good character. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, that you will let your lips and your life Speak and live and declare the praises of God in this Christmas season. You are going to be around family and people that you don't get to see very often. And to recognize this is an opportunity for you to let your light shine. For those of you here today who are still trying to wrestle with this and figure this out, and do I really believe this, I would encourage you, dive into this story. Dive into the Christmas story. Understand what it is that God has done and why he's done it. And it would be a prayer that you would indeed embrace the fullness of all that God is and all that he is through Christ and that you would see him transform your life. Well, with that this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord, that you would humble yourself before him. Well, in just a moment, we're going to receive our morning offering and we're going to conclude our service. And as we do, I just want to encourage you, as we pray together this morning, I want to encourage you to be thinking about how can I 
give praise to God in real specific ways as we head into this Christmas season. So for men will come, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. God, we are grateful that you are concerned about us. Lord, you are at our side as our defender, and we can have hope and confidence in this. Lord, you've made us glorious promises, and this morning I pray that we would rest in those promises and that we would hold tightly knowing that you are everything that you say you are and that you will do everything you said you would do. And God, help us as well to know that you are confident in your prophet and you're confident in the work of your son. The Lord, all that you have given to him, Lord, will no, by, by no means perish. God, that all that you've given to the Son will come. And God, I pray this morning that, that others would come to trust you and to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.